Well, what's up, team? So glad you guys are here. Um, and if you're listening to the recording later, I hope glad you're wherever you are there. Um, do me a solid and open to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. Um, now, for those of you who maybe some newer faces, which is so awesome, I'm so glad, he, here's kind of where we've been. We're in this uh, series called The Whole Story um, that I thought was going to take place throughout a semester, but I was tragically mistaken. Um, we are definitely going to be going past this semester, and what we're trying to do with The Whole Story is to show you that the Bible is just that. It is one single, long, connecting story of God's love for you. Every page of the Bible is about God's love for you, and that whole thing connects. And so I want you to come away from this year, I want you to come away from this series knowing, you know, I don't know all the intricacies and all the depths of it all, but I know how the whole thing fits together. And so that's what we want to do, and we've kind of been hovering for the last few weeks um, in 1 Samuel, where we're talking about King Saul and now King David. And we talked about this last week. Israel had God as their king, and he was a good king, but Israel didn't want that. Just like we have the option to have God as our king and our good king, but in our sinful hearts, we don't want that. And so we turn to other gods. And in the same way, Israel turned away from God to this other king named Saul. And Saul disobeyed God as king. Saul was a jerk as king. Saul was the worst. He really was. Just one of the worst kind of people. And as a result of that, Saul and God's good prophet, this guy named Samuel, they had kind of a falling out, right? And so what happens is, you know, Samuel was Saul's number one guy. He's one of his really good friends. And finally, Samuel came to the point to where he said, Saul, I just, I can't go with you on this one. And so Samuel left Saul, and God's Spirit left Saul. And now Israel is on the brink of disaster. And Samuel was heartbroken about all that had happened, and Samuel was specifically heartbroken about Saul. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve and weep over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have selected a king for myself among his sons. So Samuel is weeping. Now think about this for a second. Samuel is weeping over Saul. Samuel's not upset that he only has a two-camel garage. Samuel's not upset that something bad has happened to him. Samuel is weeping. Samuel is upset over Saul. Saul is an arrogant jerk who basically drove his country to ruin. But this word for grieve is a ball, which means to mourn as if someone was dead. That's how Samuel feels about Saul right now. Sure, there's frustration with Saul. Sure, there's anger. But right here in verse 1, we see that Samuel is not just frustrated, that Samuel is not just angry at what his friend is doing. He's heartbroken for someone that he knows. He's not just frustrated. He's not just angry. He's not looking down his nose at Saul and I can't believe you did this and I'm, I would never do that. How could you do this? He's genuinely upset for what's happening in Saul's life. The sin that's in Saul's life has broken Samuel's heart. Please see that if this took place in today's world, Samuel would not immediately get on social media and start bashing the leader of his country. 
nor would Samuel start bashing the leader of another political party or another group that he doesn't like or that he thinks is wrong. Samuel is not just venting his frustration. This has really gone to his heart. And this is so easy for us to do. The culture that you guys are in is, and, and that I'm in and that your parents are in, our culture is just angry. We're just frustrated. And it's okay to be angry, but it's not okay to be just angry. It's okay to be frustrated, but not just frustrated. We're not heartbroken at all. And we hop on social media and we just go to town. Or you do this in your own heart. And it might make you feel better to do that. Or to gossip about, I can't believe this is happening. But social media, gossip, and all these things, we've talked about this before, it's morphine. It's not medicine. Morphine makes you feel better, but it doesn't heal you. Psalm 56.8 says, God takes all our tears and he tenderly keeps them. Psalm 126 says, if we take our tears to God, we can return with joy. See, that's the thing. Everyone's got problems, okay? Everyone's got problems. But the thing that separates us is where do you go with those problems? Do you go to social media with them? Do you take them to the gym and just try to work it all out? Do you go nowhere with it and you just bottle it up? Do you go to TV or do you go to God with your problems? Do you go to God with your frustrations? Or do you just let it burn yourself down? And because Samuel was honest and went to God about the first king, God is about to give him a front row seat to the next one. Look at verses 1 to 3. Now the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I have sent, for I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite for I have selected a king for myself among his sons. But Samuel said, How can I go? When Saul hears of it, he'll kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer or take an animal with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. You shall then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you will do. Okay, this is awesome. So God comes to Samuel and he says, All right, mop him up, stop crying. I've got a new king for you. Fill your horn with oil and go. Now here's what that sounds, you know, but here's what this means. Your horn with oil is literally just kind of fill this bucket with oil and go. In the Old Testament, this oil was used to anoint someone. It's almost like a sprinkling or pouring on, okay? In the Old Testament, anointing someone for something is kind of like signing the contract, okay? Um, once you're anointed into something, you're in, just like a contract, that seals the deal. By telling him to get oil that day and go, God is telling Samuel, you're going to declare a new king today on the dotted line. And look, look back at verse 2, because Samuel says, I can't do this. Saul will kill me. And that's exactly right. Can you just like imagine, you know, hey Saul, hey Sam, where are you going? Oh, I'm going to anoint the new king. Oh, mm vacation. You know what I mean? Like, what is he, what is he supposed, thank you, Sam and Harrison, what is he supposed to say? Like, where are you going? Uh, like, what's he going to say? And so God has this plan. Tell them, take this animal and tell them you're going to make a sacrifice at the temple. You're going to church. It's what prophets do. Nobody will suspect anything. And so Samuel, under the cover of this, goes into Bethlehem. Okay, theologian, Marduk, where was Jesus born? What city was Jesus born in? Bethlehem. One more time. Bethlehem. Nicely done. Exactly. Christ was born in Bethlehem, right? 
And David is also in this city of Bethlehem. I'm just going to drop that there for a minute. Okay, another thing here. Here's the deal. Don't miss that Samuel doesn't see the whole picture here, okay? He's going to find Jesse in Bethlehem. We know that. And one of Jesse's sons will be the new king. But here's the thing. Saul is still king. What about Saul? What about his army? If Samuel is going to get a new king when there's someone already as king, Samuel is betraying his country. Tell me, what's the name of the crime when you go against your country? It's called what? Yes, Samuel, that was so good. Samuel is committing treason. This is a military coup. Please understand, Samuel, the prophet, if anybody can see the whole picture, it's Samuel the prophet. Samuel the prophet is showing us, is showing you, it is normal for God to call us into things and not show us the whole picture yet. And this plays out in your head every time you feel convicted to invite somebody to church. You play out the whole scenario in your head. What are they going to say? What if I ask this? What if they do this? What if they bring this up? What am I going to do? Or it doesn't have to be that. It could be any situation where you feel that God is leading you into something. Or maybe God's word is clear about what you need to do, but his word is not clear about what the whole picture looks like. Just like Samuel, you don't know how it's going to end. But also just like Samuel, you know what you're supposed to do. Do you follow me on that? He doesn't give you a clear picture of the whole thing, but he does give you a clear picture of what you're supposed to do. Samuel is going through the exact same thing 5,000 years ago as what you're going through right now. Please don't think that you're the only one. Please don't think that it's irregular for you to feel this desire to do something but not have the clear picture of what it is or how it's all going to play out, or if you had more faith, or if you knew more about the situation. Don't think that that's abnormal. This is how God has been operating since the beginning. It's all part of the plan. You're right where you're supposed to be. Act. Follow Samuel's example. And st- I mean, he doesn't see how it's all going to play out, but he follows God's instruction. Step into what God is leading you to. Let's keep going. Look at verses 4 and 5. 4 and 5. So Samuel did what the Lord, there you go. So Samuel did what the Lord said and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the city came trembling to meet him and said, Do you come in peace? And Samuel said, In peace I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. So he said, Yeah, I'm just here to go to church. Why are you here? Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. He also invited, here it is, Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So so here we are. There's Jesse. Here's Jesse's sons. And and the king of Bethlehem, the next king of Israel, is going to come from this group of people. The next king of the country is standing in this room with Samuel, or so we think. Samuel has got to be trembling with excitement, ready to pull the trigger on this. Verses 6 through 7. And when they entered, Samuel looked at Eliab, the oldest son of Jesse, and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before me. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected Eliab. For I see not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance 
but the Lord looks at the heart. Okay, so this is what's happening here. Samuel sees Jesse's oldest son, Eliab, and is like, this is the guy. Okay, that's a little bit of a jump. Like, how does he know that this is the guy? You just know his name, and he can see him. That's literally it, right? Here's why. This guy's name is Eliab, E-L-I-A-B. It's a Hebrew word, and we split it down the middle. E-L-I, Eli, is a Hebrew word that literally means my God. Congratulations, Eli Brock. Angie and Scott knew exactly what they were doing. So Eli, my God, and then Ab, A-B. Remember the second half of it. Here's the thing. little grammar here. In Hebrew, the B can either make a B or a V sound. Okay? Everybody go V. Good. You, that's the second half of it. You're doing such a great job, guys. So... Eliav is this guy's name. Av means father. So Eliav's name literally means in Hebrew, God my father. That's a pretty good start, right? If you're going to be king of Israel, this is definitely getting off on the right foot. But then we also learn from the next chapter that Eliab has already served with King Saul in the army, so he's probably a built guy, gets his reps in. He knows King Saul. He's served him well. He's fought for his country. That's going to win people over no matter what. This, this guy, Eliab, is the head of the youth leadership team. He's the head of FCA at his school. His Twitter account has a Bible verse in the, t- you know, the whole thing. This is Eliab. No disrespect, okay? I'm just telling you what it is. This is Eliab, okay? He's your guy. And even Samuel, but don't miss this, even Samuel the prophet says, this is the guy. But what does God say? No, he is not the king. I have rejected him as king. Now, rejected him. Does that mean that Eliab was a bad guy? We we really don't know, but guys, look at me. That's the point. We really don't know. We just know his accomplishments. But the Lord looks at his heart. Let me ask you something. How well do people really know you? I mean, really, though. Do, if I ask someone to tell me about you, would they tell me about your heart? Or would they just tell me about your accomplishments? And you say, well, they tell, me about, well, they tell you about my heart. Absolutely. Psh, okay. Let me give you an example of why that's not true. Prime one. Uh, I got this from another pastor, a guy named Paul Tripp, but it is so good. Let's say you're going, all right, story time. Let's say you're going uh, on a family picnic, right? Because it's just what, I don't know, it's just what you do. You're going, on a, you're going to Ridge Ferry for a family picnic, right? And it's just a day out with your family. Now, if a day out with your family is anything like most of the day trips with my family go, it's a little bit of a disaster, okay? It just really is. So you get out there, and Dad burns the hot dogs, right? And not burnt like, oh, I like mine burnt. Like, he, like, you can't eat it, okay? So he burns the hot dogs, and in a very like kind, Christian, fatherly way, he tells you to shut your mouth and eat them anyway. And you respond as a Christian, as a good kid, and you say, well, Dad, if you told me to shut my mouth, how can I eat the hot dogs? It's physically impossible. And he obviously responds very kindly to this, and this whole thing begins, right? And so you guys are upset at each other, and Mom, since she's, you know, Mom, she spent all morning trying to literally, like, lasso all the kids and Dad and get everybody into the family station wagon on time, or into the Honda Odyssey on time and get everybody there and so she's stressed out but in all that she's forgotten the tablecloth 
for the picnic. So you're all just like on the ground, and there's grass, and it's, ter- it's awful, right? It's everywhere. And so she is like on the verge of tears because she's just, this day is not going like she's planned. I feel like I'm really hitting home for a lot of people right now. So like she's really stressed. It's not going well for her either. Meanwhile, the kids, you guys, are fighting amongst yourselves about things that do not matter at all, right? And it is literally just this disaster of a day because you're all sinners, and so am I. But before you leave the park, we pose for the family selfie, right? And you pull this out, and you just like, get the picture, and you post it, and you post, so thankful, couldn't do it without these guys in my life, and you like, hashtag me familia. You don't speak Spanish. Why are you posting with, you know what I'm saying? And you do this, right? But you do this, and, and here's, the, here's the really like crazy, almost sickening part of this whole story. Across Rome, Meanwhile, on the internet, across Rome, there's this other family whose family is just as broken and sinful and messed up as your family is, and they log on to Facebook where they see this picture of your family, your familia, being all happy, and they think, my gosh, why can't my family be as happy and blessed as their family is all the time? That happiness does not actually exist here. You see, the real tragedy of this text is that every single one of you and myself, we all want so badly to be Eliab. We want so badly to build the resume, and we use social media to do it, we use whatever we can. We want so badly for nobody to give us a second look at work or at school or at church. Heaven forbid you do something or you screw it up and somebody find out. How well do people really know you? This is the lie that your heart tells you. If you could just have the looks, if you could just have the reputation, if you could just have the body, if you could just have the... Gosh, then all my problems would be gone. If I could just be Eliab, the first person that Samuel would see. You see, I say, and people say, and I'm talking to my church kids here, but even if you're not from church, you'll hear this a lot. I say this all the time. Salvation doesn't come that way. Salvation comes through God's grace. And you say, oh yeah, that's true, it's by grace, it's not by works. But you may not really believe that. Because you've grown up in church and maybe you walked the aisle when you were eight and that's fine, but you've spent your whole life trying to be Eliab, trying to work your way up the ladder. Follow this. You're trying to make the Instagram picture the real thing because you think if you can make it the real thing, if you can just make this the real thing, then you'll be at peace with God. Then you'll have love. Then you'll have acceptance. Like like you'll do this, like... You'll bump into somebody after this is over, and they'll be like, how are you doing, man? You'll be like, oh, I'm great. I'm awesome. Meanwhile, you're addicted to pornography. Your whole family is passive-aggressive. Middle schoolers, you'll understand what that means later on. You cry at least once a week due to stress. Like, your house is on fire, like, like on fire, and then you're like, oh, we're fine. Man, Ryan was funny tonight, huh? Game was a little weird, but okay, see you next week. Like, you just, why, why, do, you, why do you do that? You're not fine. So why do you do that? You're trying so hard to be... Everybody do this with me. 
Come here, everybody. And then let it out. Namaste, right? I don't think I have to edit that out of the podcast. You're trying so hard to be Eliab, and you may not even know that that's what you're doing. You say, oh, he's a God of grace, but you're trying to get there on your works. You may not know the gospel the way you think you do, so let me tell it to you. One of the thousands of reasons God chose unqualified David instead of accomplished Eliab is to show us that his grace is not dependent on you working on it. His favor is not dependent on you working on it. His grace towards you is dependent. Here's the whole thing. His grace towards you, his favor towards you, is dependent solely on whether or not he loves you. If he doesn't love you, it's game over. But he does love you. So now that he loves you, you, unqualified, unaccomplished you, have his full attention. Listen to me, middle school. You have God's full attention. You have his total affection. God is saying, I didn't choose to make David king because David has earned my attention. I'm making David king because I'm God and I want to. And in the same way, God doesn't save you because you earn his affection. God saves you because he loves you. God doesn't want you to be the best you. God wants you. And through that love, it changes things. So many of you still look at the world and you look at God through Eliab's eyes. As long as I'm impressive, as long as I can earn it, as long as I can keep the facade, as long as I can trick you into thinking that I'm not broken, you'll accept me. The reason you see people's acceptance like that is because you see God's acceptance like that. The reason you work so hard in school to keep it, to keep the face, to keep it, we're fine, is because that's what you think you're supposed to do with God. Or, this is why, you can never picture the bad kids at your school becoming Christians. This is why if you are a bad kid at school, you don't really think there's any reason for you or to be able to become a Christian because you still think being a Christian is about your performance. They'd never be Eliab. At least I've got a shot. Yeah, but God didn't choose Eliab. It's not about who's earned it and who hasn't. Nobody's earned it, by the way. It's about God loving them. Your salvation is not about you being the best Eliab that you can be. It's about God being God. That's why anyone can get saved. Because it's not about them. It's about God. That's why Christianity is different. Every other religion is about being the best Eliab that you can be. Christianity isn't about you being anybody. It's about God loving you. And I want so badly for you to see God's love for you is what secures your salvation. And since it's in God's hands and not yours, you are so much more secure than you think. You need to see God through the eyes of David. David, who is not even in the room, by the way, when this is happening. Look at verses 10 and 11. 
10 and 11. Thus Jesse made seven more of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are these all your children? And Jesse said, There remains yet the youngest. And behold, he's tending the sheep. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. Now, they said, Bring your sons. Why was David outside? You see, here's the deal. In those days, the older you were as a son, the sooner you're supposed to get married. So you could have kids and carry on the family name. So the older you are, the bigger push there is for you to be the one who gets all the blessings, you to be the one who gets the larger share of the inheritance. You get married quicker, you have children quicker. And David is the youngest of eight. Of course he's not going to be in the room He's the least qualified. Look at verse 12. So they sent and brought the son in. Now he was ruddy with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint, for this is he. David's name isn't even mentioned yet. And that's the point. David hasn't done anything to where you would know his name yet. David was not invited because he is so unqualified, so far down the line for this position, and yet God chose David to show that there are no qualifications for you to meet before God sets his attention on you. In fact, Ephesians 1.4 tells us that God loved you. Here it is. Look at me. Ephesians 1.4 tells us that God loved you before time began, which means he loved you before you did anything to mess it up, and he loved you before you did anything awesome. Just like David hasn't done anything cool yet, David hasn't done anything terrible yet either, and God is saying, he's the one, he's my guy. That's what we mean when we say that you're saved by grace, before you did anything. So grace is the only hope that you have. And while you were hopeless, he chose to love you. This is why the gospel is indestructible, because the foundation of the gospel is God's love. David couldn't compete with Eliab. Eliab's twice David's age, he's twice David's build. Well, good thing it wasn't up to David. God secured David's kingdom. David didn't even know this was happening, and God was holding on to him. That's what grace is. And the same is true for you. So listen, you, you can't break down your walls. You can't. L your lust, fellas, you doing all right with that? Your insecurities, your anger. And the reason I know you can't is because you've been trying to do that for 16 years. Any luck? I've been trying for 28. Your walls have to be broken down from the other side. Ephesians tells us, Samuel is telling us, God is telling you, I loved you before you were even in the room. Before you even had a chance to be Eliab and earn it. I already had my eye on you. I was already gearing up to send my son for you. Ephesians 1.4 says, before the foundation of the world, before you were even in the room, before there was a room, 
Listen, if he loved you enough to send Jesus to die, do you think he's going to let your insecurities keep him away? He'll help you with that. He'll break through. Do you think he'll let lust keep him away? He was already in love with you long before you even knew what lust was. He'll break through that too. He'll move into your heart. He'll motivate you to get help. He'll motivate you to stop. He'll motivate you to change. His life-changing love is pursuing you right now because His world-changing Son was sacrificed. So all your striving, all your insecurity, all your lust, all your agony, all your moments where you turned your back on God, they could be swallowed up in Him and gone. Won't you give your life to this God who draws you in even now? Right there in your seat, in the middle of the sins that you've committed today, in the middle of the things that you've done today that you're never going to tell anyone, He knows it. And He sees your heart. He knows your sin deeper than you ever will. And yet, He's still pursuing you. He's not even just kindly waiting for you. He's pursuing you still. This is the grace of God. And since His Son swallowed your sin on the cross, He doesn't have to punish you for it anymore. The punishment's already been given. He has freed you through Christ. And now all He does is call you. Let's pray together.